Welcome to the Littler Artificial Intelligence and Robotics Podcast. Conversations about employers integrating robotics and AI systems into their workplaces in the United States and worldwide. I'm Natalie Pierce. I am the co-chair of Littler's Robotics, Artificial Intelligence, and Automation Practice Group. And I'm thrilled to be here today with Jeff Bernstein. Jeff is president of the Association of Advancing Automation, which is the parent group of the Robotic Industries Association and other affiliated organizations. Together, these trade groups represent some 1,200 global companies involved in robotics, vision and motion control, and motors and related automation technologies. A3 has become a go-to organization for me not only for the great industry events they host, but also because of their development of standards and collection of statistics. Jeff is a frequent commenter on issues such as the impact of automation on jobs and the future of automation beyond the factory floor. All of this is why I'm thrilled to have him here with me today in from Ann Arbor, Michigan for today's discussion on automation of jobs and managing employee morale. So welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Natalie. I'm delighted to be here. Jeff, I wanted to start by asking you about the impact of automation on jobs. Workforces are often concerned about their jobs uh, when they start seeing robots appear on the factory floor, as an example. Yeah, I, I certainly understand their concern. Uh, we've looked at this situation over a 20-year period, and what we found was just the opposite of what you would expect. And I would hope that this would give some comfort to workers. What we saw is that whenever robot sales in the United States went up, unemployment went down. And when robot sales went down, unemployment went up. So this doesn't look like a job killer. In fact, if you look at the period from 2010 until today, this record period of robot sales in the United States, unemployment's actually fallen from close to 10% to near historic lows below 4%. So I think that what we're seeing is that the real threat to jobs is when companies can no longer remain competitive. That's when all the jobs are at risk. Companies that are automating are often the most successful companies creating and saving jobs. And we're seeing this around the world in economies where robot use is high, often the economy is stronger. And so, uh, I really hope that that provides some comfort to people, although if your job is the one that's impacted, I can certainly see why that's an issue. But many employers now are retraining workers for better jobs, jobs that allow them to use their brain and not um, you know, do dull, dirty, dangerous, repetitive tasks. Okay, so I'm glad we're starting on a positive note because this really is a podcast designed to address issues around employee morale. So let me, um, let me follow up with this. Of the many company members that you've helped counsel and train over the years, can you share any particular success stories around how a company successfully managed keeping employee morale positive through adoption? Yeah, this is uh, something that we focus a lot on in our association. In fact, we have a whole video series at a3automate.org called Why I Automate. Companies that have been most successful, I believe, are ones that explain to the workers up front what they're doing, why they're automating, and how their jobs are going to change. I think of companies like Marlin Steel in Baltimore, 
they were faced with this tremendous competitive challenge uh, from China, where Chinese companies were able to make the same product that they did and ship it over to the U.S. for less than it cost Marlin Steel to buy the uh, steel to make the product. So they were forced with a choice. They'd have to shut down or ship the jobs to China to manufacture their baskets or try and automate, which is what they did. They, they trained the people, people whose jobs were changed. They provided retraining for, and as a result, injuries went down in their company. Productivity went up. The company became so successful that it, not only did they save their business, but after a while, they were able to start exporting their baskets back to China. To me, that's a great example of a company that's did it the right way. Now, there are many others that we work with. General Motors, when they first introduced collaborative robots, the very first collaborative robot they put in, that's a robot, and we'll talk more about that later, I hope, that works safely side-by-side side with people. They trained and trained and trained, let everybody know why they were bringing in this robot, what it would do to make their jobs better, and then when they finally introduced it and put it online, it worked well, People were comfortable with it. They realized it was eliminating repetitive injuries, and so they had a great reception. Recently, I talked to a grocery company, or heard a presentation from Giant. They've introduced mobile robots, and the person who was giving the presentation said, listen, we've got a lot of employees. Their knowledge about the process is critical to making sure that we implement these mobile robots successfully. So there's all sorts of ways that employers do it successfully, but the common theme is to do it by educating the workers why they're doing it and training them to make sure they benefit, not only the company benefits. I think those are perfect examples, Jeff. And you mentioned a moment ago collaborative robots, and you know I love collaborative robots. I'm fascinated with, with the opportunities uh, that they offer and how easily programmable and reprogrammable they are and, and seem to be accepted by their human coworkers. So you want to tell our listeners, first off, what is a collaborative robot? Yeah, collaborative robots generally are meant to mean robots that work side by side with people safely. So traditional industrial robots had to be behind cages or fences. You wanted to keep people away. This new class of robot is designed to work in the same environment as people. And they do all kinds of things. For instance, electronics assembly, that's a real important task. But now we're finding all kinds of different applications for collaborative robots. Some companies are using them in uh, medical industries. I mean, every, every industry you can think of is looking at how can we use collaborative robots. So it's the hottest trend right now, I think, in robotics. And uh, the whole idea is that they can work in the same environment as a person. And is there anything that your organizations are doing to uh, help get corporations and their employees more confident as they introduce something like the cobot onto the factory floor? Yes. We do a tremendous amount of training on safety, which is, I think, the most important topic in anything when you talk about robotics. Our association developed the first American National Robot Safety Standard back in 1986. And over the course of time, we're very proud of the record that industrial robots have had in terms of safety. So it's critical that this new class of collaborative robots that isn't behind a fence also has a great safety record. So 
we worked with the ISO, uh, the ISO International Standards Organization, to develop robot safety standards for collaborative robots, and they're being implemented all over the world. And we're training constantly on safety. We have events uh, all over the country, all over the world, really, trying to make sure that these are implemented safely. So let me ask you this since we're dealing, and I mean, I think all everything that you're sharing are good ways to get comfortable around the technologies to make sure that we are speeding adoption in certain industries that we're doing so safely. Uh, one thing that, that we're doing in our robotics and the AI practice group is, is constantly counseling employers that the time for planning for greater workplace automation is now. Are we right? Are we exaggerating? Well, I think you're right. The real issue, as I said, is this need to be globally competitive. And if you look at the U.S. compared to China or the EU or Japan or even Korea, they're making much greater investments in automation. So as a result, with this government support that these companies are getting, they're becoming extremely competitive on the global stage. If the United States as a government isn't going to invest heavily, and it's unlikely that they're going to, then companies are going to have to invest heavily to make sure they remain competitive. Because the worst thing, especially for employees, is if all the jobs go away. I mean, we tried that. We tried shipping jobs in manufacturing to China or Mexico or places where there was low-cost uh, labor, and uh, that didn't work out so well. I, I come from Detroit, Natalie, and what we saw there, more and more factories closed, and um, the city sort of hollowed out. It wasn't just the jobs in those factories that were closed. It was the jobs in the community, the restaurants, the bars, the dry cleaners that depended on those factories up and running. We don't want to do that again. What we want to do is take advantage of the best technologies available to us. And I think there's a lot of great technology out there right now. And if employers wait, they're going to be falling behind. How can employers best educate themselves as to what technologies are out there that might work within their workplace so that they can maybe take that technology, turn to an integrator, for example, and, and implement? Well, I mean, obviously our association is one resource for them on automation, but there are many places that they can turn. So there's great events out there. We just came from our Automate show in Chicago, which was a great learning event. You can see the technology. You can attend classes. You can talk to these integrators who are, have a great track record of successfully implementing technology. So I think there's more and more resources out there for the companies, but they have to make that commitment. And what we're seeing now, more than ever, it's not just for large companies. You know, there's so many small and medium-sized companies that never thought that automation might be right for them are now starting to take a look at this because they recognize this is what you need to do to compete. Yeah, no, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And it, it is amazing how quickly new technologies are coming out. And, and as we were mentioning earlier, how much easier it is to use something like a collaborative robot to really increase efficiency and productivity. And it's also amazing. I think some employers would be surprised about the cost associated. I, I think there's still some thought of thinking of robots as huge industrial robots that are cost prohibitive. Uh, have you seen 
more adoption. I mean, you mentioned the one example with Marlin Steel. Marlin Steel. Have in the last, let's say, five years, have you seen smaller companies really, you know, making that investment? And and if so, why? Yeah, uh, we've definitely seen more and more small and medium-sized companies investing in robotics over the past five years or so. Uh, that's why I think one of the reasons why we're at record numbers of robot sales in the United States. Um, the why isn't just cost. You hit on something earlier, ease of use. A lot of these smaller and medium-sized companies don't have the engineering resources to implement um, big robot systems. They don't have the floor space to implement, you know, traditional industrial robots that need to be safeguarded. So they're very much intrigued by collaborative robots. Now, just because they're easier to use, just because they may be less expensive up front, doesn't make them right for every application. But even then, if companies were intrigued enough by collaborative robots to learn about them, they often found, well, for their particular application, a traditional industrial robot would work. Now, the prices of traditional industrial robots have fallen dramatically as well. So, I mean, if you're out there trying to buy any kind of robot, the cost has come down dramatically over the years. So that's, that's a great reason for adoption. What about communications with employees? Have you seen that companies are sort of scared to communicate with employees that they're going to be making these investments and then one day, you know, these new technologies show up, or have you found that more companies are sort of doing something to plan a communication strategy so that uh, they're not going to have a negative instant reaction? I think the most successful applications are the one where there's a great communication strategy in place before they begin implementing the robotics technology or other automation technologies. And so I think that more and more companies are doing that. I think if you look at it from the employee's standpoint, they want to know what's going on. They want their companies to be successful. Drew Greenblatt, who's the CEO at Marlin Steel, said to me one time, he said, nobody asked me how many jobs we would have here if we hadn't automated. The answer was zero. He said, we never ask our soldiers to go into battle without the best tools. You wouldn't even think about that. You want them to have the best weapons. Why should we send manufacturing employees in the United States into this globally competitive battle without the best tools? And oftentimes, robots and automation are the best tools. So I think employees want their companies to be successful. They embrace the technology as long as it's made clear to them why their employer is doing it, how it impacts their job, and how they can benefit from it. Now, a lot of these jobs, uh, once the technologies are introduced, they, they shift, right? What successful methods have you seen employers use to sort of transition employees to those different and new jobs? Yeah, that's critical. Um, oftentimes, there are retraining programs that are offered within the company. Oftentimes, there are community retraining programs. And I think that you really want to make sure that you're taking advantage of those retraining resources. But I also think we ought to think about one of the drivers of automating is that there are many jobs people just don't want to do. Companies can't fill the jobs that are open. And I talked to a company on the west side of the state of Michigan. Their problem was they would hire people for some of the 
introductory jobs that were kind of dull and dirty and dangerous. And people would work there a while, then they would leave because they hated the job. And as a result, productivity fell and uh, quality fell. So they decided to automate. They ended up winning more business because automation made their productivity go up and the quality go up. And they hired more people ultimately. Some of those same kinds of people who were hiring in now had better job opportunities. So I think we have to look at it from that standpoint as well. Yes, you need to retrain workers whose jobs are changing, but you also have to make jobs that people want to do. And automation often is uh, allowing companies to have jobs that people want to do better, safer, higher paying jobs. So, Jeff, we've been talking about automation in the workplace, but since, you know, this, this, we're focusing now on employee morale in general, can we think of any ways how automation is improving the lives of workers outside of the workplace? That's a really good question, Natalie, and I think that's an important one. Um, we talk about how robots and AI are actually in a position to help us live longer, healthier lives and have better jobs. And uh, if you think about it, um, when you look at what AI, for instance, is doing in medicine, helping doctors sort through all the medical research and figure out how they can develop specific treatment programs or even cures sometimes that never could have been found but for automation or the drug discovery process where robots are testing 24 hours a day to try and find cures for rare cancers that oftentimes, because they're so rare, nobody would have even tested to find. So I think if you look at just the medical part of it, there's a big benefit to us. But what about if we got to a point where we had driverless cars that were reducing the number of accidents on the road. Right now, something like 40,000 Americans are killed every year in car accidents. Well, what if through robotics and driverless cars and AI, we could reduce that even by 90%? Think about how much better um, our society would be. We'd have more people creating more businesses and more jobs. I mean, this, this impacts us in so many ways that I think if, you know, if we focus on our fears, we're going to miss out on the opportunities that technologies like robotics and AI provide. Jeff, we are on the same page with you, and it has been, again, a thrill to have you here. Thank you for taking the time out to be with us. Well, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it, and uh, happy to do it whenever you'd like. Thank you, listeners, again, for joining us. If you're interested in learning more about these topics, I will recommend a few websites. You could go to our Robotics and AI Practice Group page, which is located at www.littler.com. Uh, you can also go to a3automate.org. That's capital A and number three, automate.org, or robotics.org. Thanks again for joining us. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers, addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.